Hey everyone, you are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling and this is the show that I produce in Sydney, Australia. Every week we have deep dive interviews with leading guitarists and guitar figures. And midweek we drop our iconic albums series. And that's what you are tuned into today. I'm here with Rob Rhodes and Gabor Jessica and we are checking out U2's Ak Tung Baby. Today's episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott. Now, Joe is not only a fantastic guitar player, he draws on his years of experience as the ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and also at the McNally Smith Music College. Here's a few words from Joe about the course. If you're tired of wading through hundreds of random guitar videos and just want to become a better player, Fretboard Biology is your answer. Fretboard Biology is a self-paced, college-level program that will give you the right instruction, in the right amounts, and in the right order. You'll learn the same information I taught to thousands of other guitar players over 30 years of teaching in top music colleges. If you want to make real progress with your guitar playing, then sign up for a free 7-day trial at fretboardbiology.com. All right, Iconic Albums number 13. I'm joined by my friends Rob Rhodes. Hello, Matt. Hello, Gabor. And Gabor Jessica. Hey, Matt and Rob. How are you guys doing? Great. Great to see you guys. Number 13, fellas. I know. Lucky. Lucky Lucky 13. You bet. What could go wrong? Fingers crossed. Well, today it's it's my turn. So I chose a U2 record. Now, I really I really wanted to do a U2 record. I had a few in the pot. It, it came down to this. It came down to Joshua Tree, uh, All That You Can't Leave Behind, and Aktung Baby. So they're probably my three favorite U2 records, and they all kind of span um, three kind of eras of U2, perhaps. Um, so I went with yeah. Aktung Baby because it, it, it's, it would be my number one U2 record. So... Uh, released in November 91, the seventh studio album uh, from U2. And my my pathway into U2, when I was, um, I think, during the Synchronicity episode we did, um, the episode Gabor chose a few weeks ago, um, I was saying I was such a headbanger when I went and saw Sting in 85 or 86 or whatever. I just didn't understand it. Um, U2 was one of the bands that was kind of getting me out of um, power chords oh. and, and uh, opening my ears a little bit. I think I had some older friends, older musician friends who were into U2. So I think that was a bit of an influence. But I remember I remember getting the bus to Parramatta. I used to live in the Hills District in sort of Western Sydney. You got the bus into Parramatta to Mayfair Music. Now, I don't know if you guys remember stores that used to sell records and musical instruments. Yeah. So I do, yes. So Brashes. Oh, Brashes. Of course. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> Product placement used to work there. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah well, this is like this, but about one-tenth the size of brushes. They had, um, I, oh, I still remember the instruments. They used to sell lots of Onyx guitars. Um, they had a thin line Onyx acoustic I thought was cool. They, they would sell Gorilla amplifiers with the Ooh. tube stack button. I really wanted one of those, but I never got one. And they had one that was a second-hand The Strat. Oh, Do you remember those? Yeah. yeah. Kind of like a cool, I think... Um, it wasn't the Elite Series, but it was around that time. I think it was sort of Dan Smith era Fender. Anyway, anyway, I digress. But I, I with my own money, caught the bus in and uh, I bought Under a Blood Red Sky on cassette, which was an EP, and it was the Live at Red Rocks album. So it had uh, New Year's Day and 
um, Sunday, Bloody Sunday, you know, all live versions of that. Unreal. So yeah. I think I think that was recorded in 83. Anyway, man, I just wore that out. I loved it. Um, I didn't know who The Edge was. I, I knew like the singer was saying, this is The Edge. And I'm thinking, is he singing about the edge of the stage? Or <laughs> is it some heavy metaphor or something? You know, eventually found out it was a guitar player. So <laughs> so that was formative U2 for me. So I would set up um, a little Casio keyboard with half-size keys. Once I finally saw a video and I realized the edge was playing piano, then guitar in New Year's Day. So I'll do the dung, 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 dung. I'll do the piano solo and then I'll do the guitar solo. That's yeah. so good. None of them good or anything, but that was my gateway to U2. But, yeah, I guess, you know, The Edge, he's just one of the great sonic architects of our of our lifetime, I, I would say. So I was super keen. Absolutely. Super keen to do one of the records. So we'll get into Aktung Baby, but I'm interested in hearing your U2 stories, gentlemen. What what was your gateway into U2? Gabor, did they have U2 in Austria? Um, yes, they even had a, a subway line called the U2 in Austria as well, uh, in Vienna. There's a, anyway, that's a different thing, but, um, um, yeah, actually I got into, into U2 through that album, Achtung Baby. That was the album. I mean, I was aware of U2 before mm-hmm. <clears throat> in, uh, on MTV. I mean, the, where the streets have the name clip, where they're on the roof of the house and, um, um, what's the other one? I mean, all the, the a lot of the songs of the previous albums they played them to death on, or not to death, but they played them a lot sure. MTV in yep. Europe. But I remember um, the even better than a real thing film clip where they keep spinning around and around mm. and around and around. Uh, I love that song, and I I um I really like the film clip and the vinyl outfit <laughs> um, that that Bono was wearing. And um, so yeah, this this, this album got me into you too, and then through that album I discovered a lot of the previous okay. stuff and um yeah so and, and i mean like like you're saying the edge um one of the i reckon one of the very few very very few people instantly recognizable as soon as you hear the guitar you go that's the edge he's just got such a style and such a unique hit it's just him and you just know it's him even if he plays stuff that doesn't sound like the other stuff he plays but you just know it's him instantly he's just one of those few people that has that gift i think that you just know he has such a unique voice, you know. That is yeah, his. good call, definitely. Yeah. How about you, Rob? Um, it's weird because this album was 1991, so I think I was in year 10. And again, another one of those bands you couldn't escape radio, TV. No. They were everywhere. I think when I started learning guitar, Sunday that Sunday bloody Sunday riff was one of those things that we learned and played over yeah. and over again. Um, and then like Rattle and Hum was huge and the B.B. King thing, the extended uh, Rattle and Hum, the movie, and that was just everywhere. But I never really, I didn't, I wouldn't say that I was a U2 fan. Uh, and then sometime around 2000, I think I sort of traced back, that's when I got into this album. I think maybe it was $10 at a record shop in Liverpool, we used to go to Groovy Tunes in Liverpool, yeah. catch the train. Opposite, um, and opposite Anthony's music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, on the corner. It was a great place. So we'd buy all our secondhand CDs there, and I think I got that there, and took it home, and I was just yeah, two thousand. So Spellbound, absolutely. And then I got Zuropa, and then the Pop Mart Live VHS, 
And that's that, cool. That's such a cool show. Yeah. Oh, so good. And then <clears throat> that got me like straight into you two. All that you can't leave behind is sort of where I left them behind. Okay. <laughs> I didn't go any further than than that. That's a great record. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But um, they just reached their absolute maximum capacity uh, for for what I could take in at that time. Yeah. So yeah, that sort of was my introduction. They were just everywhere. Triple M on the radio. Uh, and you just couldn't escape them. But I think this this record, once I just once I discovered it, it was just very different because they were very lo-fi, almost indie rock, um, maybe alternative punkish kind of thing early on. Yeah, they had the big pop hits, but uh, this sort of took them into new territory. Uh, very industrial, edgy, edgy. Yeah. Pun intended, because uh, this is described very much as the Edges record, yeah. Uh, and yeah, so that's sort of my history and affiliation with you two. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, I always love the different perspectives from us, at different points in our lives, and and that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. So, um, so as we said, the album released in November '91. It was recorded in you know throughout '90 and and '91, and as as you alluded to, Rob, it was, a, it, was a, it was a new direction and it was a very deliberate reaction against some of their earlier work. So um, they'd just come off the Rattle and Hum tour, um, which I saw actually in Australia in whenever that was, uh, 89, wow. 88, uh, with B.B. King and, and, and all, all those guys, man. Unreal. Amazing. Killer. But for you too, that was like their experimental record getting into American music. So... Um, yeah. Into gospel music and the blues, or the U2 version of the blues. Um, yeah. I love in, um, I can't remember what song it is, but Bono says, Okay, Edge, play the blues. And he just does some crazy Edge thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best. But, you know, like some of great blues players came out of Ireland, like Rory exactly. Gallagher. Rory Gallagher yeah. and um, Gary Moore. Gary Moore, yeah. The Edge. And the well, Edge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's on the edge of blues. Oh man! So the record uh, was produced by Daniel Lanois and Brian Eno. That now they'd worked with the band before. Um, Lanois, um, he was what I've read. He was more in charge of the sonics of production, the the nuts and bolts of it in a lot of ways. Interesting. He was he was tired of making slick, polished records uh, some, with some of the other acts he was working on. So seems like he was in a good place to. Uh, take you yeah. two into some new places. And Brian Eno, who I love, I love his ambient stuff. Yeah, um, yeah me too. Those records he did with um, Robert Fripp, um, so cool. Um, apparently Eno would just drop in every now and then for a week, every month or so, just to make sure to make sure the record didn't sound like you too. So if you, if you listen to any interviews with any band members or the producers, they're all saying the same thing. We're trying to get away from um, that, that, Beautifully crafted U2 sound that by the Joshua Tree was was pretty locked in. Um, I think I think Bono said it best. He said, "We're cutting down the Joshua Tree with this record." Yeah, that's wasn't right, also yeah. partially that that's why they went to Berlin. And I mean, in those days, um, um, West Berlin. I mean, it was a very very um, different place. I, I mean, I don't know if any of you guys have ever been to Berlin when it was East and West Berlin. But my mum was born in Berlin, so I, oh, wow. I, I did go there a couple of times when it was still East and West yeah. Berlin. And it's a very, very trippy – it was a very trippy place back in those days. And um, I think 
wasn't that one of the reasons why they went there as well, just to be somewhere very removed from the world almost? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it was very, very freshly opened up. Um, the, yeah. the entire city, yeah. That's a trip that your, yeah. your mum was, was born there. Yeah, my mum was born there. And, um, I mean, totally unrelated, but yeah, back in the days when it was East and West yeah. Berlin. I mean, yeah, that, this would have been just after. Yeah. Uh, was it just, yeah, just after. Was it 89 uh, the wall came down? I think, like, yeah, possibly 89. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So what do you, but, um, what do you remember of that? It used ball? to, like, what, sorry? Was that, that would have obviously been a big deal at your house then. Uh, it sort of was, yeah. I remember David Hasselhoff singing uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as the wall came down. <laughs> no, but I mean, the trippy thing back in the days was when we used to go from Austria to, I mean, this is totally not related to this album, but when you used to drive into West Berlin, yeah. literally you go to the, the border, the East German border from Germany to East Germany, and you go through and there's a road, a highway or freeway or whatever, no exit, just goes directly to Berlin. <sighs> And quite often, my dad would say, well, I reckon if you look at that car behind us, they're following us. And we once, I think I had to pee or something, and we stopped, and I pee. I was little, yeah. you know, I was like, I don't know, <laughs> six, seven years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, 26, 27. <laughs> no, I was like, you know, five years old, six years old. And I got out and at the side of the road, because there's no, no rest stops, no stop. Yeah. And we stopped and I peed and the car stopped and asked, what oh, are we doing? Wow. You know, it was, it was, it's just, the, that's the way it was. And people don't quite realize it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, and it yeah. was like nah. that. So going to um, Berlin, it's a very weird, it was a very weird place. And I still, I think it wasn't that long after the fall of the wall. It would have still been quite a weird place. Yeah, right. Wow. That's yeah. full on. When yeah. I was really little, we had, um, we had friends that had fled East Germany, um, yeah. yeah, a couple, um, and then emigrated to Australia. And man, full on, full on. Anyway, <coughs> my whole days, yeah. my whole family oh, yeah, came to from Germany them. too. Sorry, sorry. My whole, my whole family came from Germany in the fifties. No way. Yeah. Yeah. So both sides, mum oh, really? and dad. Wow. Yeah. Well, probably the forties. Okay. Uh, yeah. Man. For no, yeah, uh, yeah. forties for my mum's side and fifties for <laughs> okay. my dad's yeah, side. But yeah. part of that post-war move. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is turning to a um, the <laughs> post-war political podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, all right. Where were we? So, yeah. So the band, the band did some early sessions in Berlin. It seemed like everyone was really keen to reinvent U two, but they weren't really sure how to do it, and things got a bit strained. So, mm. the Edge had been listening to a lot of industrial music and dance music, and working on some. Um, uh, live theatre scores and, and stuff that really stuff outside of his U2 wheelhouse. So they were struggling and, and there was even talk about, you know, did they want to keep being a band um, after all these years on the road and, and then this reinvention not really working. But it seems like the breakthrough song was one when they started jamming and, and the song one started fleshing out. So that, that gave the guys some confidence that they were heading in in some sort of direction, and uh, the rest of the album was recorded in Ireland, uh, um, in a couple of other studios, and the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, went on to win mm. five Grammys. There were, uh, sorry, two Grammys: one for the band, one for the production team of Eno and Lamar. Uh, there were five singles, five singles from the record, which is, uh, I guess, compared to um, No Doubt a couple of weeks ago, that's that's amateur <laughs> status, but. <laughs> Five singles on one record is 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 massive. So, 
And they all did really well. Yes. <laughs> That's the yeah, yeah. Well. Oh, yeah. killer. Killer singles. So songs. What are some standouts? Gabor, what, for your first U2 record. Well, for me, uh, like I said, even better than a real thing probably got me into U2. And um, later on, I, I probably that song and The Edge and Tom Morello got me into wanting a whammy pedal. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think The Edge generally is the guy who got me into effect because um, I think this was sort of one of the first albums that was really quite effect heavy as well. I mean, he's done the delays and stuff before. Yeah. But I think this album, there was a lot of effect on it. And then going into Zuropa as well, which I, I always kind of put them almost as one, the two albums. They kind of, to me, they kind of coexist a lot, like Achtung Baby and Zuropa. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, so I, I really got into that. I love the slide guitar solo in that as well. It's a killer solo. Um, and I, I, for ages, I didn't know what the guitar was he was playing, which was the Rickenbacker. And I always, I love the shape. I just, that's the thing I just remember of that oh, album. Is that's the, cool. The weird vinyl outfits and them constantly spinning around, <laughs> and and uh, the cool whammy intro and the slide solo and the guitar. That's sort of what I remember. Yeah. Um, okay. Other standout trick, uh, track: Zoo Station. I love the the um, that industrial drum sound at the start yes. and the cool guitar riff so with the kind of room reverb and. Um, but again, it just it, it starts off so not U two sounding, but then as soon as the verse comes in, and the edge starts playing those arpeggiated chords. It's just so unmistakably uh -huh. edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, all, you know. Um, one is actually a song I always, if you really listen to it, it's such an effect-heavy song, but it doesn't sound like it. But I think it's probably the most effect-heavy song on the wow. album. It's, very, it's subtle, but yeah, there's stuff going on. It's super subtle and it works because, I mean, he makes it sound like an organ in bits, mm -hmm. the guitar with like a Leslie and sort of lo-fi parts if you really listen to what he plays i think it's quite a um from an effect point of view quite a like interesting mm. song because it's a ballad and it's it works so well with the song and i think that again to me is sort of what what the edge is all about it's it's using effects lots of effects but not they, they kind of they meld into the song it becomes a song uh, and it doesn't stick out but yeah, if you listen to that song, really listen to all the different guitar parts and all the very, very different sounds that he that he mm -hmm. has on that song. Um, what's another one? The Fly. I mean, there's so many good songs on it. That's yeah, a problem. Yeah, yeah. You can say just about every song. <laughs> the Fly. I love that that riff. I love the solo again yeah. in it. Um, uh, Mysterious Ways. Um, just such cool. It took me forever <coughs> trying to work out how to recreate that sound. The guitar sound because it's a million effects. Oh yeah, ones. mysterious ways, you know, mysterious yeah, ways. Yeah, yeah. Until you find out that it's just one of the presets on a yeah. A3, um, yeah. and he just dialed up one of the presets. But um, I tried. I had to recreate that sound for. A, um, we did a bunch of videos for a, a company called Mod Devices, that, and it's like this little thing, and you can it does everything basically, like an effect thing. And uh, we did a bunch of videos for them where we recreated famous sounds. Oh, nice. And trying to recreate that was really hard, and it's a lot of effects to get that going. Anyway, but uh, I, I always love that song. It was one of my 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 favorite U two songs as well for a long, long time. And I really liked the bass line in it actually too. It, it's that's not something you say very often in U two, but I do really yeah, like yeah. the bass line. Man, um, if it wasn't for Adam Clayton, you'd never know what the chords were in a U two song. No, no. Oh, he, the, the rhythm section they they hold they really hold it all together. Um, 
uh, trying to throw your arms around the world. It's just sort of kind of chilled song. I, I always, I don't know, I always kind of like that one. Uh, Love is Blindness. Uh, that's a cool track too. Probably the most un U2 sounding song on the album, but um, like it's the least U2 okay, yep. stereotypical song. Yeah, I can hear that. Um, but the production's really cool. The feedback sort of guitar is cool. Then that bit where it, you think he's going to go into this kind of bluesy solo, but he just plays two notes yeah. and then there's nothing. <laughs> it's just cool. It's like, I like that sort of how it kind of works. And that kind of, um, he does a cool sort of tre- uh, tremolo pick. Um, uh, riff it right at the end. It's sort of like a melody, and it's sort of this really fast. Oh yeah, yeah, that it yeah, does. yeah. Right at the end, it's a, it's a. I really like that always. So that's, I mean, they're probably they're all good songs, but they're probably my standout track. Nice, nice. How about you, Rob? Heck, it's almost the perfect record. It's yeah. hard to. I think I listened to this more times than any record that we've done so okay. far. Yeah. It yeah. was just there was so much to hear and. I started sort of two days ago, and I reckon I've listened to it two, three times a day uh-huh. yeah. up until this point. They're so good my, songs. They're just uh, good songs. There's always something to discover. It's like, you know, watching Fight Club every time. There's something <laughs> new to see. But, um, my favorite track was always Ultraviolet, yeah. Light My yeah. Way. Oh, yeah. There's just something. It's moody. Yeah. I love the chord changes. It just it builds really nicely, but there's just something. It's like a that song's like a warm blanket okay. to me. It's just wrap myself in it. It's just it's just great. Uh, even better than the real thing is actually one of my favorite songs that I've ever played live. Okay. Yeah, it's same just here. So same much here, yeah. fun to play. There's so much going on, and as a vocalist, you at the time I didn't really have anyone singing harmony, so you could bounce between the octaves that Bono's singing. Yeah, yeah. And make it a real performance, is, that song, which is, is... this album too, is, it, is this the album where he sort of found his falsetto voice? Because he didn't do that that much before, did he? That was sort of, I think that was the one of the first albums where he used his falsetto quite a lot. And then, I mean, he used, he's quite known for his falsetto as well now. Yeah. But was it? Was I'm it, not sure. I'm trying to, no. do much of that I'm trying to remember. I reckon, I reckon you could be onto something here, Gabor. I think you are. I think maybe that's another thing he tried to, because I mean, he's a great yeah. singer. Uh, with a humongous range, but I think maybe for this whole trying to do something that doesn't sound like you too, I think maybe he found the falsetto ness in there. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, that falsetto voice in it, and it's a great voice. His falsetto voice. Yeah, is great. and Brilliant. the vocal octaves. That's that's a cool uh, part of yeah. the record. Yeah. And a bunch yeah. of songs. And yeah. it's a real rock and roll thing to do. Like Pink does it too. She goes from a, a verse to the chorus, an octave uh-huh. apart. Like, yeah. Just having that range is amazing. Uh, yeah. Until the end of the world, that riff is just so fat. Yeah, yeah. And the delay is just pure edge on that one. Um, and I remember that on the Pop Mart live um, concert. The edge is just, oh, it just smashes it. The fly, same as you. Totally dig that solo. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. a, it's a masterpiece. Yeah. Like the way that it just builds yeah. and the intensity and the band goes along with it. It's just really well put together. And finally, I think Acrobat. Um, Again, the intensity of the guitar parts and the solo and how the whole song just builds as one to, to the end. It's just, it's so wonderfully crafted. And I, one, it goes without saying, it's just pure like syrupy pop ballad, but it's dark as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's there's a um, there's a Baby making of 
video and it's on YouTube. I watched it a couple of years ago, but I refreshed last night a little bit of it. And um, so one came together during they were writing Mysterious Ways and Edge was messing around. They had one idea for a bridge. It didn't work. Then they tried another idea for the bridge, which was actually the chord progressions to one. So they pulled it out of that and then there's – they're jamming on it for a while and they really didn't think much of it. And then there's a video of Daniel Lenoir and Brian Eno in the studio without you 2 They chopped the tape up to make the song and they're playing all the parts. Oh, and they cool. said, so they're playing what they thought the keyboard should do and what the guitar oh. should do. And you two are sitting around the room going, okay, we – I know you're not sold on this song, but here's this gives you a sonic kind of idea of what we're thinking with what you came up with. And it's amazing to see them all sitting there and there's Lanoir on guitar and Eno's just going dit, 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 on like a little <laughs> synthesizer and it sounds amazing. And you just see them start to build the song. They're talking in the control room and all those. It's, it's a really great behind the scenes because – they came out of that rattle and hum Joshua Joshua Tree era, became the biggest but most hated band in the world. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that was at the that was really the key to them wanting to blow it all up and do what they did on this record because they sort of got swept up in their own you know hugeness and ego, and uh, they didn't really like it. They didn't like where that what they'd become. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they wanted to just re-embrace that alternative kind of indie sound that they had before. And then they became probably even huger than they were before. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Man, that that whole I mean, that whole nineties chapter, it's it's a it's a totally different streak. Like you guys have mentioned Pop Mart, yeah. um, those albums, Zeropa that followed, and and they followed like Acting Baby. They it was a it was a big chunk of things that was kicking off with this record for sure. Yeah. 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 Cool. All right. We might take a short break. We'll get back with some more songs and thirty two racks of uh, Edge's front of house guitar rig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott, ex head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and the McNally Smith College of Music. I was one of the beta testers for the course and can say as a music educator, I was really impressed by the logical sequence of learning. The course has also been endorsed by players such as Brett Garson and Greg Cock. For more details, check out the links in our show notes. All right, welcome back to Iconic Albums number 13. We're talking about Achtung Baby, U2's seventh studio album, a real, a real shift for the band. Um, a real journey into thicker and darker textures um, mm. in the writing and, and production. So favorite songs. All right, I'll give you mine. I'm going to pretty much echo just everything you guys just said, <laughs> except except I don't really like Mysterious Ways that much. Oh. <laughs> it wasn't – it's not one of my favorites, but it's still a good listen in the context of the album. But, yeah, I'm kind of with you there. I'll skip that track. You guys are wrong. <laughs> There is no wrong. There's only opinion. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I'd like, but I mean, sonically awesome, and that guitar intro, and we'll we'll definitely talk about 
that stuff. And yeah, yeah. Props to you, Gabor, for for recreating that with some gadgets, man. Killer. <laughs> um, it was hard. <laughs> um, so many good moments. Um, Ultraviolet could be my favorite U two song ever. Could okay. be ever. Yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right on that one. <laughs> it's pretty close. <laughs> no, I didn't say there was right and wrong, but you're right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, I love that song. It's it's sort of like um, what was the what was the Diesel song? Um, all come together. Yeah, yeah. It's it's my all come together. <laughs> for uh, for you two, yeah, it's just killer, and it's kind of it's probably maybe got some of the most traditional um, edge guitar sounds up till this point. So, as in mm. some of those, you know, those dual delays like the dotted eight plus the the straight crotchets, like um, Joshua Tree kind of sounds. Yeah, yeah, it kind of sounds like the sequel to the Unforgettable Fire. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's got yep. that. Yeah, it's comfortable yep. again. It's funny, like. This album being such a big departure for you two, and I'm sure at the time when it came out, I'm sure I thought, man, this is awesome. I know I loved it when it came out, and it felt modern and new. But I've heard it so many mm. times; it just sounds like you two to me. Yeah, yeah. So, or, even though what we're saying is is 100 correct, it, you know, the, the shift. But yeah, Ultraviolet's great. The Fly is probably maybe my second favorite U two song. That's just killer. I, I yeah. love the live versions. Like that solo is the best. Um, and then, then Edge, he sings the falsetto parts as he's finishing yeah. the solo. He's, he's the coolest. He's the coolest, man. And um, so, yeah, that, that's... Except for when he falls off the stage. You, you've seen that. You know, where he walks and falls off. Yeah, anyway. Serious? <laughs> Have you seen no. that footage? That went, it was going viral for a while. It was from one of the concerts. Okay. He was walking. I think it was where they had that big sort of heart-shaped catwalk oh, wow. that went through the audience. Wow. And he was walking along it playing guitar. Yeah. Um, and then he walked and he just kind of looked forward and he fell oh, off no. the stage. Oh, <laughs> no. Yeah. Far out. Man, the, only time I've, that was, the only time I've broken bones go. is falling off a catwalk. That's another story. Oh, okay. okay. That's, that'll be on the Broken Bones podcast. <laughs> um, so, yeah, The Fly, Unreal. Um, uh, where where was I? I? Had some other stuff here. Who's going to ride your wild horses? Just the start of it. Those massive, thick, kind of dissonant chords. They're so noisy and clangy, um, and yet the so- a big hollow body sound. Yeah. You know, you can really hear the hollow body on that. Yeah. Totally, it's just yeah, howling, all- man. It's it's. <laughs> There's so many good songs. That's the thing. It's hard to kind of pick good, the best songs because they're all yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And album. I guess. I think we've we've hinted at this before. Like for all these records we've been choosing, you know, they're they're killer albums. They're not it's not like your two favorite yeah. songs plus a bunch of filler, so hundred yeah. percent. Um Acrobat, that really angry probing solo. Uh with the yeah. trem, the trem picking, that that's killer. Um, yeah, heap, heaps of stuff. I guess and yeah, jump in. Sorry, is it, it is it just is it just me as well or is it is this one of the few albums where the Edge actually does solo? Look, the the Fly solo was a bit of a departure. Yeah, and he said it himself. He said it was a lot of fun, but it was it was a bit different. I think I think on yeah. Rattle and Hum he did a couple of more traditional rock solos. Yeah, it, Bullet in the Blue Sky is that? That's got a bit of a guitar yeah. solo, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. It's it was sort of rare. It was kind of a bit of a rarity and since then as well yeah. i think with a lot of the, the newer stuff there aren't many solo there's melodic parts yeah. 
but not really solos. And this album seems to have quite a lot of solos on it. I don't know if that's maybe a departure again as well. But um, anyway, sorry, sorry. No, no, not at all. That's a great point on Fly for sure, for sure. It is a killer solo, and the the way the chord progression changes, like Rob was saying, the band shifts, starts in E minor, ends up in E major, and um, yeah, it's great, man. It's great. What's the semitone between friends? <laughs> and you're always one fret from greatness. That's what I say. Exactly. <laughs> Let's talk. Um, we've already we've already kind of verged onto tones, which you, you you have to for the edge. There's there's no way of avoiding it. I guess this record too was the greatest variety of tones that we'd heard from the yeah. edge. Um, you know what I love? He's such a mix of vintage and cutting edge technology. Um, yeah. You know, he's got the old. Vox amps. He's got the old. <clears throat> most of his guitars are old vintage stuff, but he's pulling out this latest technology or, 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 or warping it in some kind of way. Even back in the early days with the Echoplex or whatever he was using. Yeah. Guitars and gear. So I'll just put a couple of things out there, and, and please join in, guys. Um, his, uh, from what I understand, he, he started leaning on Les Pauls a lot more for this record to get you know thicker, bigger tones. His um, his Strat and Explorer were his main two guitars for a lot of the earlier records. Yeah. Um, and that Explorer is, I mean, it looks rock and roll, of course, but it's, from what I've read, it's a cleaner sounding guitar than it looks. It, it, it doesn't okay. quite have the heft of a, uh, of a Les Paul. So apparently he had two Les Pauls for the records. He had a white 975 Les Paul inspired by Steve Jones of the Sex Pistols who had a white Les Paul. Uh-huh. And uh, he had an 83 Gold Top. And I wonder if that was a deluxe with mini humbuckers. Were they still making deluxes in 83? Uh, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Seems it might be too late. 83 is the Nolan era, right? Yeah, yep. Yeah, still. Mm, hard to know. I, I, don't I don't know. Get Trogley on the phone. Where is he? <laughs> I don't know who Trogley is, but he sounds like he's be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be very helpful. Um, there's, uh, you mentioned the Rickenbacker, the 330 on Mysterious Ways. Uh, yeah. And the Hollow Body, so an ES330, which is kind of like a 335, except it's totally hollow. Totally hollow, yeah, no center block. Yeah, no, a trapeze, usually, trapeze tailpiece, I think. Yeah. So that was on Who's Going to Ride Your Wild Horses, and one apparently had that. Yeah. Amps. Amps, uh, eight Vox AC30s chained together. <laughs> Such That's a Brian good. May thing to do, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And um, man, there's, there's, just, there's not enough effects loops in the world to get your delays after the grunt. You've got to run them into the front of the amp. <laughs> <laughs> Which is such a great part of his sound, has always been the delay hitting something dirty and probably yeah. more delays afterwards yeah. as well, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you guys do that much? I'm. I, I always have them after. Yeah, I always. I've. I've experimented with them in the front, but I really don't like how the difference between how loud it is on a clean and a dirty. Because I'm a channel switching guy, so it's really hard to get the balance clean and dirty when you hit it. They just jump out like crazily. Um, so in the effects loop, always works for me because it's much more even. Yeah across all your different gain stacking, you know, uh, it's, uh, yeah, just much more controlled and I can, it, and subtle 
where it's hard to do really subtle through the front end. It's either there or it's yeah, gone. Yeah, yeah right. you got to be really set a, up for that thing, I reckon. I'm an everything through the front end guy. I never use the effects loop. Um, but I'm a, I'm a pretty much using a kind of clean, semi-broken up okay. amp and then all my gain coming from the yep. front. Um, yeah, I never use effects loop. Um, but I do, there's something about that sound when you have a crank, a dirty amp, and you run a delay into it. It has a it has a a sound to it. But yeah. I mean, I, I know where you're coming from, Rob. Where trying, when you you need different sounds, it's hard yeah. to keep it under control. But if that's the one thing you do, or if you just use it for that one thing, it has it's such a cool sound and big reverbs as well. Running them running them into a dirty amp, it sounds really cool. I really like it. Has a, it has a sound to it that I really yeah like. totally. Oh, absolutely. It's like David Gilmore's got it and then much later, you know, Jack White and yeah. Dan and Dan from the Black Keys, like all of yeah, those yeah. sounds uh, fuzz into delay into the front end, you yeah. know. Like yeah. it, it has that. It has that sound, but you have to be set up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As to, you yeah. said, you can't be a Swiss Army guitar player yeah. and no. really expect the delay in the front end to work. There was, um, I guess, the, the man of the match for this album were the Korg A3s, the, the two rack mounts units he had. Um, I don't know heaps about these. I remember Korg, like every man and his dog had a Korg foot, foot pedal in the 90s that I knew, um, an A5 or an A7 or something that followed. But the A, was it the A3 or the A2? Uh, his, he had the A3s. A3. He had he two had A3s. A3. Okay, yeah. 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 Do you guys know much about those? I mean, other than, I only know it's a multi-effects. It's got an interesting memory card in the front that, yeah, Some and you, can, you can do, yeah, you can expand. You need to get that particular mysterious way sound, for example. You need a certain expander card to put in the okay. front that yep. has a, a certain presets on it or something like that. Yeah. Um, um, no, I, I don't know. I, I've been wanting to get one for ages, um, but uh, they're hard to find, <laughs> yeah. uh, especially at 240 volt. Oh, really? Yeah. And, but then you need the step-down converter and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Because um, what's his face? I've been trying to think of his name. He uses that's his main effect unit as well. Um, country country guy, um, English country guy, with the signature um, music man. Albert Alvin Albert Lee Albert, Albert Lee Albert Lee, Albert Lee yeah. yeah. So that's Friend his of the main show. effect unit as well. Four Gay Three. Nice. Because I, I I remember seeing an interview with him and he was saying because uh, he's not internet savvy. His wife uh, bought I don't know. 30 of them online because they keep breaking. <laughs> so he bought all the second He's got all of them. them. He's got all of them. Him and, between him and the Edge. The Edge has uh, got two. He, they keeps, he keeps buying them because he uses he, the delay and reverb and chorus and oh, something really? like that. That's wow. Albert Lee's sound, yeah. Wow. Man, I hear people talking up the distortions in those units as being part of that tone as well. And for early 90s rack gear, that's, that's a big call. Yeah. I, I, want, I need to get one now. I have to. Just after this, this is it. Yeah. I'm getting one. Okay. <laughs> Man, we will follow that closely. Oh, yeah. Um, on, the, on the Zoo TV tour, which was basically you two trying to replicate these new sounds, um, I don't know if you guys have seen any pictures of his pedal board. He's got this giant Bradshaw rig. Yeah. Um, he's got sort of like two refrigerator-sized racks. You can see the A3s in there. It's the pictures I've seen are pretty blurry, but kind of standard stuff. There's um, all the Bradshaw switching stuff. There's the pedals in the drawers. Some of the pedals I saw uh, there's Big Muff, 
a uh, couple of boss overdrives a super overdrive and a turbo overdrive um a boss cs3 i think i've read somewhere that the cs3 was all over the record i mean okay. it's, hard, it's hard to hear that mm. but there's a, there's that there the compression and in the rack the boss fet preamp yeah it's a big one the green thing yeah that's, yeah that's a cool that's actually quite a cool unit that uh with a uh, with a belt pack yes yeah absolutely that's, that's a cool he should really attach it to his belt. <laughs> if I don't serious. think it'd survive falling off stage. <laughs> Actually, they're pretty well made, those things. Yeah. Like I, wonder, um, I wonder why Boss... I mean, Boss are not into reissuing stuff. If they, no. if they reissue, they do something more to the technology. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I've been told well, JHS does a version, a version of, version of that. that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yep, yeah. yep. There you go. Yeah, I... I I'd be surprised if no one had had done that. If if you want copies of stuff, JHS are the guys to yeah. do it. Right. They're the kings of making copies of everything. Uh-huh. And you got his delay unit there, Matt, what he was using for his delays? TC, I think it was. Yeah, but, TC Electronics 2290. 2290. Oh, okay, yeah, Two yeah, of yeah, them yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, and he liked that because you can control, like, the in and the out, like, times and gain structures. His, um, his rig rundown... Is oh, like amazing. Yeah. It's a more recent one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it, yeah. not much has changed. You know, he no. says that he embraces new technology because he just wants it to work. Yeah. So as much as he loves the old stuff, he, as you said, he likes to move forward with things that are going to be a bit more reliable. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, they go right into that, to the – he's got a padded room with the amps in it. All that crazy stuff. Oh, it's insane. But, but the mean, thing that – sorry, so, you go. Yeah, no, no, you go. No, you go. Uh, it was just um, I love the story of the 76 Explorer mm-hmm. that, you know, he went to New York with his parents and uh, in one of the guitar shops there he just saw it in the window and immediately got it. And now he owns 11 all <laughs> from the same era because they have two different necks. Yeah. So there's the pre-April and the post-April apparently. And, um, yeah, so he's got 11 of them, all very close serial numbers. Uh, nice. Yeah, quite amazing that he's done that. And on that last tour with that rig rundown, there was 26 songs in the set and he had 23 different guitars. <laughs> well, I love that. A, a lot, so do I. <laughs> that's what I was going to say because I was going to mention it before when, when um, Matt was talking about the guitars because he uses the guitars he uses in the studio live for the songs because they have a certain voice and that's what he wants to use and that's why he carries all the gear around as well because he wants the the rack unit delay that he used in 1986 for that song on the album that's what wow. he uses live and i guess if you have just about unlimited funds like they do mm. you can have two semi trailers just for his guitar <laughs> that's man because it's insane, can, this office. How fun would that be? So, yeah. Man. It'd be I high think, pressure, though, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, didn't Dallas Shoe say, was it in that rig rundown, he says, you know, we roll the dice every night because he's creating all these textures on the fly. No pun. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he's doing it live. They've got all these old amps that they're trying to keep going, although surely you could blow a couple of amps and you've still got another 10. Um, well, how many amps did he? It, it had like that whole room just amp backstage almost. <laughs> yeah, it, and then uh, spares for everything. Lots of spares. Yeah, it's <laughs> insane. Yeah, I saw um I saw him on Letterman um 
Well, I can't remember when. Oh, Letterman, that's probably going back a few years anyway. But yeah, yeah they, they wheeled out this rack of amps. That's for a one-song TV appearance. Yeah. They're all little amps. So like Voxes and Deluxe, you know, Deluxe Reverbs and, and the stuff Deluxe, like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but um, you've got to love that dedication to yeah, delivering yeah. exactly to the fans and to himself, probably. Yeah, it's yeah. just like I can do this, let's do it. Yeah, um, yeah, guys like him and Bonamassa that just take the best of the best out on the road, yeah. regardless of the cost, because people they know people want to see it. It's as much, you know, gear junkies and the spectacle of that part of the show. As it is about the songs and um, you know all the effects and pyros and video screens. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, he has this is post Achtung baby, but he has the holy grail of the line six effect. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Tell yeah. us about that, Gabor. The, I know. the, the <laughs> golden rack mount yep. um, distortion pro, yeah. which I think yeah. they only ever made five of them. Yeah, right. And he has three of them. Um, <laughs> and and Albert. He, Albert Lee's got the other two. Maybe Albert Lee has the other two. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so because yeah, he 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 loved the um, the Line Six. Um, what is it? DM DM four, the distortion modeler, the, the golden one, okay. the yellow golden one, which is I find really funny too because you have all these, especially back you know going back a few years. Now things mm. have changed a bit. Go back a few years, you had all these digital snobs. You know, people that say no, you got to have analog. You can't you can't do it yeah. digital. And there's a guy who literally can have anything he wants. And he still, because I remember in that in that rig round, he said eighty percent or something of all his distorted sounds are the line six. Oh, yeah. really? Wow. So you know, and all the old line six unit comes through again. So just, just bring it out there. Because I, I made it that. all MIDI for him too. So well, that's why he wanted yeah. it because he wanted the pedal, but he wanted it with more um, with more um, uh, storage capabilities than four. Okay. And he wanted it all MIDI switchable so he could switch it via. So they made Line 6 made them especially for him. Wow. And I think, yeah, I think it's something like five were ever made. And I think he has two or three of them. And one came up on Reverb like five, six years ago or maybe three, four years ago and went for stupid money. <laughs> Imagine getting in a bidding war with the edge. <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe he bought it. You never know. Fair one. Oh, Oh yeah, what's the shipping to Ireland for this thing? <laughs> oh, awesome. Man. All right, I reckon. I reckon. What we about some it? fun facts, Matt? Oh, you got Ooh. fun facts. Fun Rob, facts. Fun facts. Fun facts. <laughs> All right, get, so I'll, I'll get the studio onto that jingle. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so most people probably know this, but Bono always records his vocals with a Shaw SM58 from the control room. Yes, yeah. um, that's amazing. You know, people talk Neumanns and. Yeah. All these ridiculous studio mics, and here's one of the greatest rock vocalists of all time, and he does it with a 58. Um, he talked about creating the persona for the fly. Uh, he took Lou Reed's glasses, Jim Morrison's <laughs> pants, Elvis's jacket and hair to create it. He called it his rock identikit, yeah, nice. um, which is really cool. Um, and that was part of reinventing... You too, and not being so yeah. serious about it. Hey? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Richard Branson asked if he could use even better than the real thing for for his Virgin Cola, um, <laughs> but you two refused because he was 
They were trying to take on Coke and he wanted to say even wow. better than the real thing. And because of the lyrical content of that song, mm. um, which is kind of what it's about, um, yeah, he wanted to use it, but you two said no. Imagine imagine if Fabio would have sung even better than the real thing in the I Can't Believe It's Not Butter. <laughs> I know. <laughs> now that would be fantastic. Anyway, sorry. Um, on the uh, Pop Mart tour um, during – uh, during one in concert, uh, Bono used to always give a shout out to Michael Hutchins. Right, um, okay. That's a nice little fun fact that he used to do there and it brings it back local. Um, there was something, oh yeah, in Ultraviolet, during the recording, Larry Mullen dropped a drumstick midway through the song. Um, okay. After much debate, they decided to use the take to preserve its, sponta- its spontaneity. Oh, wow. So it'd be something to go back and have a listen yes, to now knowing that's that cool. that's in there. Love that. Um, and Who's Gonna Ride Your Wild Horses? The single is a completely different mix from the album version. Um, okay. I meant to go and have a listen to it. But, um, yeah, and the band actually prefers that. They replaced the guitar with keyboards in the single release oh, okay. version of that song. Cool. Um, so there's two versions. And one thing gets Bono's back up is so many people tell him that they use um, they use one as a wedding song. He right. said because it's very dark. He says it's an anti-romantic romantic song. Um, we are one but not the same. We get to carry each other rather than he said that people hear the words wrong. Um, so he says there's something very unromantic about the lyrics in this song. Mm. And it kind of irks it. similar to every breath you take. We talked yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. People use that as a wedding song, and it's um, a stalker. I'm sure I've played both <laughs> those songs at weddings. Oh yeah, I've played Better Man by Pearl Jam as a wedding waltz. That's so not cool. that's like the most inappropriate. And I've done Working Class Man as a wedding waltz too. Oh, what's wrong yeah. with that? <laughs> <laughs> Thought you'd like that, Matt. <laughs> Um, that, I miss playing gigs, man. <laughs> and that kind of wraps up all my little fun facts for this album. Rob, fun fact. Boop, boop, <laughs> boop, 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 boop. Anything else, should I? Oh, I think we're pretty much. Oh, the only other thing was the amps mic'd up in the studio. So you mentioned the eight chain linked box AC30s. Yep. Well, they were mic'd up tight mic with a SM57. And then an AKG 414 about four feet away. And that's oh. pretty much for every track is a very similar setup to get the edges sound. Yeah, cool. Hey, you're going to talk picks as well, Rob. Oh, yeah. So um, in that rig rundown, <coughs> yep. he, his, his uh, guitar tech explains how he uses these, I guess the example that we could probably use are these, these Max Grip Jim Dunlops. So they've got like a scratchy, scratchy. That's a good demonstration um, on yeah. the mic. So, so um, yeah, he actually scratches yeah. across the strings with the grip part of the pick, mm-hmm. um, and that's how he gets that attack. And when you listen to some of the songs, and and I'm sure um, the people will go back and watch that rig rundown where his tech demonstrates, and you, as soon as he does it, you go, yeah, mm. that is, wow. you know, that is a very, very signature sound, and it's the only way you could get it. Yeah, cool. And there's a few players that have that, like Keith Urban attacks in with the side of the pick. Okay. That's how he gets a lot of the aggressive pick oh, technique wow. from him. Yeah. So he like stabs at the string with the edge of the pick. 
So yeah, there's quite a few interesting pick techniques out there, especially like Brian May with the coin. And yeah, there's a guy. Uh, there's a YouTube series, and he went a bit like super slow mo cameras on famous guitar players' hands, like Steve Morse and people like that, to see the picking technique. Oh it's yeah, quite interesting. Some of that stuff. Yeah, it's got like he's got the camera over the pickups as well. Yes, like right, it's a couple so of can, different angles. Yeah. Um, and they're like these sort of super slow motion cameras. Yeah. And he just sees the picking, the, how they pick. And it did, he did a bunch of guys. I think he did Ingwe, he did um, Steve Morse, maybe Satriani. I don't know, a bunch of guys. Mm-hmm. And how different the, pick, the picking technique is. It's quite interesting in how, diff, like, how it changes the whole sound of the, the, the playing, the way you attack the guitar with the pick. Yeah, wow. Yeah. I, I have a picking technique that I call the cheese grater because <laughs> basically wears my first fingernail away and tears the skin away from my second finger. <laughs> I've got, I always have a bit of my, first, my fingernail on my index finger, my right hand. Yeah, mine's same. the yeah. same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wearing out. Awesome, man. Ok Aktung Baby. Check it out, people. That's. Ah, uh, cool. I think I think we've covered the record. I mean, we could talk all night about this, but I reckon yeah. I reckon we've done a good job here. Rob, Gabor, thank you so much. Rob, where can people follow you? And maybe tell us about your YouTube page. Oh yeah, I've just um, moved over to YouTube for my live stream shows during this lockdown. So um, the page name is Rob Rhodes Music. So you can go head over to youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Rob Rhodes Music. Excellent. And Gabor. Okay. Uh, you can also go to YouTube and check out uh, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash the super fun, awesome, have you done pedal show or one word. <laughs> <laughs> and that's me. Uh, so, yeah, just uh, myself uh, and then also myself and my good friend Alex. We uh, kind of look at pedals and amps and guitars and do lots of giggling and stuff. And uh, yeah, all gear, gear and giggling related stuff. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Fantastic. Fellas, thanks so much for checking out Aktung Baby. Thanks, Jens. uh, Catch you next time. See ya. Bye. All right. Thanks for joining us for another Guitar Speak podcast, Iconic Albums. I've really enjoyed putting these conversations together with Rob and Gabor, and it's been a really cool addition to our podcast show, which uh, every week has deep dive one-on-one interviews as well. That's been our bread and butter for the last five years, and that will be continuing as well. Thanks to Fretboard Biology for sponsoring today's episode. Check out the links in the show notes. All right, my name's Matt Wakeling. You've been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. And in the words of Michael Schenker, German guitarist from UFO, The Scorpions and MSG. Keep rocking. Keep on rocking. Keep on rocking indeed. I'll catch you next time. Bye now. <laughs>